was designed to save the world. People who look to the sky and see hope. I'll take that from them first. Welcome, everybody, to a brand new episode of the Heck Yeah Comics Podcast. Heck yeah! I'm your host, David Luzader, and with me, of course, is... Dick Share Moves This. Fantastic. Well, this is take two for us. Uh, it seems like the rain here has finally stopped, meaning we can have a clear episode. So, let's just let's get right into it. Uh, it's funny, because we got like 15 minutes into recording this episode last night. And uh, what what ground should we retread first? Um, well, we might as well uh, cover Descender. Uh, start with that. All right. And that we've we've already discussed that we should have a pretty firm idea of what what we want to say about it. Yeah. No. And this is a. I feel like this this episode this week is going to be very front heavy. I feel like there hasn't been a ton of news coming mm-hmm. out. You know, there's there's stuff definitely to talk about. There's definitely the new uh, Age of Ultron trailer, which is very cool, and we'll we'll talk about that a bit. But I felt there was more stuff that actually came out, which is great. You know, that's that's probably more what we want to talk about. Oh yeah, uh, definitely. When you're here to talk about comic books, we should talk about comic books. The comic it, books, as it turns out. So, Descender is the new Jeff Lemire, Dustin Nguyen sci-fi space opera. And uh, who should start? Who should start? I started last time. All right, you start so you're, this. You're time. gonna force it on me. I knew that was gonna happen. <laughs> that's totally fine. So, Descender, um, first of all, this is a really big name team. So, there's, you know, there was a lot of hype behind this book, which means that it also had the potential to ultimately be a letdown. Nick and I are still raw from the ending of The Wake. You know, great team, was a really great book, but, you know, stuff still, you know, I don't have the rose-tinted glasses on anymore. But as far as the outset of this book... I really, really liked this first issue, and it was, you know, it was a little bit longer than a typical uh, issue is probably going to be, which I think is good. I actually kind of wish that more companies did this with number ones. I know Marvel does like the they do the double shipping typically on on number ones or like number one, number two, um, to kind of get things going faster. But I I just kind of wish that you know DC, Marvel, Image, everybody would do not necessarily like you know double-sized issue but a a few extra pages just because there's usually so much we're trying to establish at the beginning of the story i agree you're trying to introduce a setting typically especially with something like this you're trying to introduce you know these high sci-fi concepts you're trying to introduce uh characters that we're going to be following and so to have a few extra pages gives us more time to kind of slow down and really get what we want out of this and uh and this is definitely a very well handled issue as far as introductions go i thought that the introduction of uh dr kwan and tim 21 uh you know we get a sense of who these two are uh and you know i mean it's easy to feel connected to tim 21 already because you know it's a little kid and a dog like everybody has that emotional connection but now it's okay we know who they are and we can kind of throw them into stuff 
and let the big story begin. Because the big story, I mean, the, the big story does start right near near the beginning with these big harvester robots. Um, but I felt like much wasn't, not too much was established as far as what happened in the 10-year time jump. Or, uh, uh, you know, I don't want to say like not a lot happened, because stuff definitely did happen. But I felt that it was more focused on letting us know who these characters are, which I thought was really good. I yep. thought uh, definitely well handled by by Lemire, and everybody kind of has a very distinct voice, which is really nice. Uh, and and hopping over and talking about the art for a minute, I am a fan of Dustin Nguyen. I, I feel like it has a very he has, he has a style um, that lends itself to sort of like a, a child's book, uh, which you know could possibly not translate well to a serious space opera sci-fi comic uh but i really felt like his art was you know i always enjoy his art so i definitely enjoyed his art in this but i thought he handled the material really well and he had some really epic big scoping pages like the page where we see the harvester for the first time over the horizon or uh the, the page where uh tim 21 is, is seeing all those news reports from um, from like the time that he's been asleep, um, I thought that I, I don't know. I just really really liked that page, and I feel like uh, you know the last page. I really like those character designs a lot, mm-hmm. and that uh, that also felt very unlike Dustin Nguyen for me to have these sort of nightmarish creatures. Uh, so I like seeing that. I like seeing artists who I typically have this one view of, but then they're going to give me something in a story that I didn't expect out of them, and it it kind of gives me a bigger scope on who they are and what they're going, what, what they can accomplish. So I'm really curious. We know there's aliens in here. I'm really curious to see what other designs uh, he has coming out. And that guy with all the teeth or with all the, like the really weird mouth and all the eyes, like that's just pure nightmare fuel <laughs> right there. Yeah. He's pretty freaky. I'm, I'm, and the I'm, dog too, whatever it is. Yeah, I, I, like, I, I like how our, our minds just conceptually jump to dog, even though it's the farthest thing from a dog we can think of. Oh, I, I mean, it definitely—I don't know—it's on a leash. <laughs> are you saying that dogs belong on leashes? I mean, yes, I'm just do. saying that, that's what your dogs on a leash. Well, it's it's also growling. You know, it—I don't know—it very dog-like comparisons, and it's being oh, reined in. Be it's being reined in by Wolverine. It's fine. So. Yeah, guy does look like Wolverine. Yeah, and I think you know we kind of had this discussion last night, uh, and I didn't want to just like pretend that we didn't. But I, I thought it was funny some of the uh, the comparisons we were drawing about these people on the last page. You've got like low rent, low rent Wolverine on the front. Uh, that that chick looks like a Hellboy character for sure. You've got Red Hood in the background, and then Clayface. Yep. Hanging out with them with the giant knives on his back. Yep. But, all right, that's sort of my introductory thoughts on Descender. Nick, share yours. <laughs> um, it's, as far as aesthetic goes, it's a new kind of sci-fi. Just just given the nature of Dustin's artwork, uh, and especially, and especially the, the painted look, which uh, I know that he's done on previous works, but um, not usually on a... I still think it's hilarious that you refer to him as Dustin. Isn't it? Yeah, we're pals. Um, <laughs> Which is funny, because uh, I, like, I feel like if we were talking about like the writing, it would be like, oh, Lemire did this, Lemire did that. And you're like, Dustin. But Dustin, me and, me and Dusty go way back. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, no, but 
Um, I, I'm a really big fan of the artwork. It's definitely like I, I've always been a fan of Dustin, but as far as the nature of the, like it working with the nature of this story, um, it definitely grew on me as I got through the issue. There's the, the artwork alone conveys a very large world with mm-hmm. a very deep mythology. Mm-hmm. And I suppose it remains to see if that's actually true. But what I, what I like about this and it's things that like this, that maybe like movies like inception, mm-hmm. which for like, uh, like all the cool stuff that they do, what they, what they do that I think makes the world feel real is that they've created a language for it. So like, you know, in inception, you have characters talking, you know, in different, talking uh in, with different they're words about, they're talking about like, all the dream stuff all the different dream stuff and like the techniques and that like they they actually thought the thought this through and didn't just use the same old words like there's or it's like in pacific room where they had like the neural handshake it's things like that that i really like mm-hmm. like these so, little, these little phrases the slang that they use exactly which you don't really you know how much especially in a comic book that's one part art and another part dialogue or, or writing you know mm-hmm. that you know dialogue can play a huge role in and, and bringing you into the story. Mm-hmm. And in this case, um, especially once the scientist guy, a Quan, a Dr. Quan comes onto the page, um, and they're discussing like the, like what's going on and, and talking about the UGC, like calling it the UGC, mm-hmm. you know, things like that. It just makes it feel like more of a lived in world. Mm-hmm. Um, which is very cool. The, the harvester that they show you, just has a very majestic but foreboding look, and for good reason. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it just it gets me very invested in where the story is going, um, and then of course Tim Twenty One, you know, it, it just reminds me so much of the movie Artificial Intelligence, which I haven't seen it in years. I remember I remember it fondly. <laughs> uh, at you know, I saw it when I was a kid, um, but yeah, don't don't rewatch it. Really. Well, okay, so it's uh, it's Spielberg doing Stanley Kubrick, and in that sense, he definitely pulls it off, but it's also not very good. Hmm. I think I'm going to watch it anyway. Yeah, go for it. You're an adult. Uh, I can't stop you. I'm, I'm an adult. <laughs> I can make my own choices. Um, you know, they, they set up the mystery with what happened to Tim 21's family. Um, well, and makes... I think that's so interesting. Um, sorry, I, I don't mean to interrupt you. No, no, no. Um, yeah. But you know, you say what happened to his family, and it, it's there are these two people he calls Andy and Mom or yeah. Mommy, and the computer tells him the people you referred to as Andy and Mommy are you know no longer alive. Essentially, well, it, it, it looks like it says it, but it cuts out and then jumps to something else. Oh, that's very true. The um, humans you call Andy and Mother were among the and then the Colonists okay. hit on undetected pocket of cerium gas in the mines. Oh, like he, it jumps from hmm. saying one thing to another. That's funny. I didn't. I didn't catch that. But I just thought it was interesting that the computer, like Tim Twenty One, knows he's a robot, but he's acting very human. And I just think, I think it's interesting that when the computer is talking to him, it's referring to him as a robot. I don't know. Just some interesting. Yeah. Oh no. Setup. I mean, I, I don't think Tim's unaware that he's a robot i think that the way that he's programmed to be a companion for a child mm-hmm. is you know he he's a robot but he's got you know the the mentality of a child mm-hmm. so he's he's not 
like hyper focused on his own existence. He's just like, oh, I just want to find my family. That's all I care about, yo. Yeah. Uh, and definitely using Tim Twenty One to catch everyone up to speed as far as like the the macro events that have happened since the Harvester attacks mm-hmm. um, was definitely a great touch. That was a great way of doing it. I agree. And then you know, so it, it, a lot in a lot of ways, you had the beginning, which showed this this shining galactic utopia. Um, and then it, it crumbles, and then you get, you know, Tim 21 is kind of almost the intermission, um, where you, you kind of see a small, uh, what's what's the, the consequences of what happened on like a small micro level, mm-hmm, and then it yeah. jumps back to Dr. Kwan 10 years later, you know, who's, you know, clearly he's, he's falling on hard times. And, and it's interesting that you say it's kind of a uh, an intermission. It definitely shows us kind of the far-reaching consequences of some of the things that happened earlier in the book. Yeah. So it's it's actually as far as the structure wise, it's it's it gives it's really only three scenes when you think about it. It's Doctor Kwan being brought in to investigate the harvesters, and then everything going to hell. It's Tim Twenty One waking up and wondering what happened to his family and trying to figure out what to do about it. And then it's revisiting Doctor Kwan ten years later and pulling him back into the mystery of the harvesters as it relates to Tim 21. So it gives you a connection to the characters and then it, it ends with the, the we'll call them bounty hunters for now. Um, you know, arriving on, on the, the, the colony or whatever that Tim's on and, um, you know, setting up a, a conflict for the next issue. So it's fairly minimal as far as like, there's not Events. a lot of individual scenes, right? Right. That's, but that's it, kind of what I was trying to say. Yeah. But, but having, you know, it's 28 pages long. I did the count. Okay. Um, you know, it, it really helps certain scenes breathe and you know, that can sometimes be touch and go depending on, you know, the story, the execution where sometimes, especially in comic books where you're, whether you're paying three, four five, whatever dollars you want to feel like you're getting enough bang for your buck. And sometimes stories feel like they're so padded out that, it's not worth it. But with some artists, there's, you feel like there's a certain deliberation to it. There's a certain necessity mm-hmm. to the way that it's paced out. Uh, and this is obviously could be subjective. Someone may have read this and had a completely different opinion of it than, than me, but it, it really helped me get uh, kind of just, I almost feel, especially with the painted, like it's almost, it's almost dreamlike, mm-hmm. but not quite. I just, I just, I felt like I almost fell into a trance, like reading it just like, going with the flow of the story and then being like, Oh, Oh, it's over. Okay. I got to wait for the next issue. Yeah. It, it, it was over, but it didn't feel abrupt. It felt like a natural sort of break in the story. Yeah. Um, yeah, but you, I mean, yeah, I definitely agree. Like you could have just kept going. And I hope they do. Yeah. Oh, I think they definitely will. I think there's no doubt that this book, um, is going to be a hit, you know, when you've got a team like that. Um, so I, one thing I want to revisit real quick, we've talked a lot about the art and, you know, with first issues, that's kind of a big thing to focus on because yes, they, you know, they need to, they need to do a good job of establishing the story, but also the art needs to convey the world to you. And sci-fi, you know, usually needs a lot of really clean, crisp lines, uh, you know, especially if you're trying to make stuff look really futuristic, um, and when you have like this really painted look, like the sort of watercolored look of it, it's not like like the line. You know, he definitely does have very very crisp, clean lines, but the coloring of it just gives it a whole different aesthetic and a whole different feel. Mm-hmm. Uh, and like Dustin Nguyen does his own colors, right? I believe he does. Yeah, which I you know from what I understand is typically pretty unusual. 
Um, but he, yeah, and I, I think that, that that kind of is a, is a bonus to him, I should say, because um, he, you know, he took like he took these two images, the one that were shown like at the very beginning, then he shows it to us later, and really, it's it's the same picture. But all he does is he paints it differently, and they look like two completely different worlds. It didn't click in my mind at first that we're being shown the exact same image. So you know, I'm just I'm, right now I'm just kind of singing uh, Dustin Nguyen's praises. Uh, but ultimately, I think we're coming to the consensus that this was a very well handled first issue. Uh, everything was introduced well, and they have set up stuff on a very big level without detracting from being intimate with the characters well said yeah thank you well let's see what else do we got on our list here uh like i said lots of stuff came out lots of stuff um why don't you go ahead and tell us a bit about spider woman all right i will so obviously there's been a lot of i'm gonna say controversy going around with uh, spider woman's butt um <laughs> Uh, namely, of course, the Milo Manara piece. Um, so this is issue five. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's the new costume. It's the new status quo. Everything's revamped. She's hot off of Spider-Verse, and she's just like, I think I'm going to slow it down, uh, you know, and become more of a, a, a street-level crime fighter. Um, you know, kind of pace myself. No more... Galactic spider orgies, as she says in the book, um, or, you know, extinction level events. Like, let me just, um, you know, kind of get back to the nitty gritty, help normal people, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Which is, it's it's funny reading this one because if you read like current Avengers, new Avengers comics that take place somewhat eight months down the line from this, mm-hmm. she's back in her original costume doing extinction level events so it's you know it's, it's just one of those quirks of the publishing line that you know the kind of the way that it shakes out mm-hmm. that they were probably developing these issues around the same time so one department didn't necessarily know right, that her costume yeah, had that, changed that's and, that's what i was thinking you know so it, it is it is something where you know it, it doesn't necessarily it doesn't detract from this because obviously this is taking place earlier than the current avengers comics mm-hmm. and given the nature of that particular extinction event I don't see why she wouldn't be roped back in to help out. But in this book, she makes a statement about how she's quit the Avengers. She's given up like all the luxuries of that lifestyle. And she just wants to hit the streets with her motorbike and, and punch people in the face. That's the American dream right there. There's, there. A, there's a great line about This is what I wanted. Old school, street level. Helping the innocent by hospitalizing the guilty. <laughs> That's pretty you know, good. That's pretty good. I like that. that. I thought that was a good line. You know, uh, it, it kind of strikes at the 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 nature of superheroes and the actions that they undertake, and and how you know it does. You know, punching people in the face doesn't necessarily solve the crime problem, but mm-hmm. for our entertainment, it so does. Well, it, well, and it's interesting. Just a, a quick note about superheroes. Like this is you know this is vigilantism. This isn't justice. I mean, unless you're you know Batman. But it's, yeah, I mean, it's Batman's to- the only one that gets excused. Yeah, it totally is. Like they're not. Yeah, they're not trying to like they're they're not trying to do rehabilitation. They're trying to on a street level. They're trying to protect people who are getting mugged and getting attacked. So I like. I feel like that's something we've actually been missing from superhero comics lately. So it's cool to hear that there's a character that they're refocusing in that 
direction. It's been a lot of epic pandering. So it, it is, especially if you had been reading Spider Verse, um, you know, and you and you follow it right into this. It, it a lot of the Spider books, like uh, by a lot of them, I, I mean Spider Man, Amazing Spider Man, and this. Uh, and and on Spider Gwen, um, okay, and so okay, all of them, uh, all of the Spider books uh, are you know jumping from that that huge cosmic event and then just kind of being like, all right, let's get back to basics, let's get to the street, and that tends to happen when you get this when you go through something so 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 big, you kind of um, decompress a little bit and just deal with what's going on, you know, in the normal physical space around you. Um, I don't have a lot of experience with Jessica Drew. I don't have a great bead on her personality. Mm-hmm. I feel like this book, uh, this issue at least, does a good job. She's kind of a, she feels, I mean, she's been around for a long time, but she's got like the, the, the air of a veteran mm-hmm. uh, on her. She's a bit more, she, she even makes a point. Oh, she calls herself just your 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 surly neighborhood spider woman, you know. Mm-hmm. Compared to the friendly neighborhood spider man, she's the surly neighborhood spider woman. She's got a bit more edge to her. Her background is in is in the spy game, you know, mm-hmm. the Shield and Hydra. That that's basically her background. So she's kind of jumping into the the crime fighting for it. She's like she's never just fought street level crime on this scale before. Okay. So a lot of time during the issue, uh, another character points out how like. Oh, your whole trying to help normal people, like, uh, oh, you you stopped a a, a, a supposed uh, jewelry robbery, except uh, you were actually fighting a retired supervillain who was working for the jewelry store. Um, you a broke fun, a, a stuntman's leg. That's a fun uh, commentary you, you, on just how weird sort of things have gotten. But continue, broke a stuntman's you, you leg. Dis- you disabled uh, two subway trains. Uh, all you know, basically that she. She she operates on such a large scale level that her attempts to try and do small scale have led to disastrous results. Hmm. She's like pouring coffee in like a cracked coffee cup. Like she's she's kind of a mess right now. But it, it makes for an entertaining story. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I I suppose I could go. I, I feel like since Spider Woman came back, she came back into promise when Bendis took over Avengers. Bendis kind of took her from limbo and said, here she is. And then, of course, after like the first three years of her being on Avengers, it turned out that that was just a scroll impersonating her. Of course it was. And then I, I never really went back. <laughs> uh, <laughs> scroll me once, shame on you. <laughs> You've got to make that a thing. Scroll well, me and twice, that's, And that's also the name me. of the episode. Yeah, totally. <laughs> I'm going to write that down. Um, um, so I... I, I want to go back and read the first few issues of the story just to kind of get a kind of feel of what uh, Dennis Hopeless, the writer, was uh, right, leading up to. It was, of course, being draw, drawn by Greg Land, who oh, I won't go Greg into depth, but, but I'm not a fan of. I don't think you're a fan of. Must I be. think the reasons why we're not a fan are pretty apparent. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, Javier Rodriguez, the artist on this issue, is a breath of fresh air. There's... You know, detailed backgrounds. Not as I wouldn't say hyper detailed, but it feels. But you 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 feel planted in the world that she's in. Mm-hmm. Um, you're you're in the you're in the, the the back alley. You're in the jail cell. You're in this office. You're et cetera. Like there's a sense of um, surroundings to your characters. The storytelling from panel to panel. Like there's a one page where she's basically doing gymnastics up to the top of a building, um, and then it cuts back into. Um, the action and it just it's done 
uh, basically like she's going up the building and then inside the building instead like the building's like a black silhouette and then there's panels inserted inside the building so basically the building becomes the action action beats uh they did some stuff like that uh, oh no sorry i was i was thinking of descender but it was actually the uh, all new hawkeye that uh that was doing it they basically would do like one like some sort of image and then show a different image inside the image mm-hmm. um to convey two points at once um so i wish you know if javier rodriguez who's who's done some great work on daredevil the mark wade daredevil book as well filling in for chris uh chris samney mm-hmm. at times um if he'd been on this issue uh, been on this comic from issue one i would have jumped on it like a Something that would really jump on something. A kangaroo. Um, oh, man, that metaphor fell apart on you fast. It did. But it's, it's just it's just good. It's, 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 it's good. So definitely, like, if you're looking for street level, if you're looking for fun, humorous, um, but not necessarily... It's definitely in line with Hawkeye. I think Hawkeye um, sort of started this renaissance of just, like, the person on the street. And this is a book that, that totally plays with the fact that she definitely, especially with her new outfit feels more street level. She's, she's an old hat at this game. She's, you know, she's not necessarily phased by some of the things that she goes through. She has an excuse for everything when it comes to being a superhero. Um, it's somewhere between like Hawkeye and the new Ant-Man. Like in, in the last part of the book, she's fighting this villain called the porcupine. And mm. it's just really ridiculous. Um, but anyway, long story short, uh, this is definitely a new era for Spider-Woman. I hope that this book, li- you know, and, and that the creative team, uh, especially Javier Rodriguez, uh, stays on, um, indefinitely, especially through Secret Wars, or at least continues post-Secret Wars, because it's a, it's a fun new start. Very cool. I, uh, yeah, I don't really have a lot of, um, experience with, uh, with Spider Woman, um, probably like yeah, yeah. Uh, she I've seen her in a couple of Avengers comics back when I read Avengers, uh, but you know I liked like it was all very small stuff. Probably the thing that uh, jumps out to me when I think about her is this. I don't, I don't know if it's a Spider Woman or a Spider Man comic, but there's something where he like is interacting with her for like one of the first times, and he's telling her. Like, look, here's just kind of, you know, from me to you, here's some advice. Like, you're always going to feel like you're over your head. Things are always going to seem way too big and crazy. And then he turns and he says, unless you're Thor. And there's just this picture of Thor fighting this, like, giant, you know, alien, like, machines. And he's just, you know, looks very powerful and stoic. And I don't know. I just always really liked that moment. Because, you know, I got the Spider-Man humor, but it also really makes sense. Like, these are a bunch of, like, normal people and then you have Thor, who's like been raised to do this stuff his entire life. Exactly, exactly. That's a great juxtaposition. Um, you know, as, as, as extraordinary as these people are, you know, they they, started they off were bestowed people. upon by these powers, mm-hmm. and then had to figure out what to do with it. Exactly. Thor is just a god. <laughs> yes, he is. Okay. Well, next up, I'm going to talk about Rocket Raccoon for a minute, if that's cool. Go ahead. So we'll continue on the Marvel train. This is a lot of Marvel stuff this week, I think, because uh, we'll probably talk a little bit about Hawkeye after this, too. But anyway, Rocket Raccoon, I talked about a couple episodes ago where I'd gotten caught up, and I wasn't sure if I was going to stick on the book mm-hmm. with Scotty Young no longer doing the art. 
and uh, the story for this issue, they were saying like Groot's gonna, you know, Groot, you have to stop Groot in order to save the world, to save Earth, more importantly, which I thought that wasn't that was a problem, because you have a a book about a talking raccoon in a spaceship with a space tree, like don't make it be about Earth. That being said, uh, this hold on, let me grab the issue. This week. Uh, we saw yet a, another artist um, on here, uh, Jake Parker, who is not Scotty Young, but his, you know, he's kind of doing a Scotty Young impression, mm -hmm. I, I guess you could say, and it, and it works really well. So, so as far as the art goes, it was a return to form in what I want to see. Uh, and as far as the story goes, it's interesting. You know, they kind of play with the whole saving the earth thing. Uh, the story is that it takes place far in the future and, uh, like Iron Man is really old. Tony Stark's gotten really old. Um, Captain America, I'm just now realizing after flipping through the pages again is missing a couple of limbs and he's got huh. these, these robot limbs to replace them. Um, <laughs> I just noticed Black Widow has two kids that are both dressed like Hawkeye, uh, <laughs> Anyway, so it, it's set far in the future, and the whole storyline is that Groot was an Avenger. Uh, and, you know, I'm just going to kind of talk about this issue kind of very openly, except for the last couple pages, because there's a little twist at the end that I thought was the whole point of the whole thing, and I liked it. So I'm not going to ruin that, but as far as everything else, right now it's fair game. Um, so Groot... Rocket and Groot at some point were on Earth, and Groot wanted to become an Avenger, and Rocket was telling him not to, but they convinced him, so Groot becomes an Avenger of Earth. And uh, Tony reveals to him that like, really the whole reason that they he wanted them there, or he wanted Groot there, was because of Groot's regeneration. He wanted to copy that so they could extend their own lives and live forever. You know, because ultimately these are mortal beings, and I always find it funny when we jump ahead in the future and show them as old, because like now we have to start going like really far in the future, like impossibly far, because <laughs> like back then it was like we'll just jump ahead twenty years, and it's like twenty years would pass, and they look the exact same, <laughs> sometimes younger, depending. Um, but in taking all and taking these cells from Groot, he uh, his body was trying to defend itself. So he sort of reverts back to this animalistic state and it becomes this giant monster that's just mm. wrecking the planet. Uh, and it's, you know, I use this comparison a lot. Like I want it to be a, a Saturday morning cartoon sort of thing. And this felt like uh, that really serious episode of the Saturday morning cartoon that just came I out. I remember of, those. Yeah. That like it just suddenly came out of nowhere, but it's the one that you always talk about years later because you like understand it better as time goes on. Mm -hmm. um, so all in that regard, I, I thought this was a, a much better issue than the last two that we've had. And I, I wouldn't say it's the best issue we've had of Rocket Raccoon yet, but it was a really, really good one. And one that I, I really liked. Um, you know, Jake Parker has that has that same aesthetic feel that we want. I thought that it was a, a well-handling of this faux future storyline. Um, it has a lot of, I don't know, it, it just has a, a lot of really great stuff in there. And I like seeing, there's this old, they show this old version of Rocket, who is actually really badass. And I kind of hope this is one of those things that gets referenced again later. Like he has this, uh, like the scar over one of his eyes and he's missing chunks out of his ear. And, uh, I don't know, he just looks a little grayer. 
Like, he just looks really, really hardened. And this, I don't know, I, I really like versions like this of the characters, like, when they come back. Like, uh, like old man uh, Spider-Man, you know? Mm-hmm. That he's just got that really badass costume. Um, short story long uh, here. Oh, man, okay. Short, short, short story, story long. Actually, okay, and I'm just kind of looking through it again. So I just read through it earlier today. Uh, there's this really great panel where Rocket's in a fighting ring, and he punches somebody. And, you know, instead of just, like, having the sound effect of it um, in the arc that the person's head would be flying uh, as they got punched is the word punch. <sighs> and it's in, like, this really great style. So it's stuff like that. Like, that, I'm really glad to see this is going back to what I wanted out of this book. And, uh, and yeah, I will definitely be picking up uh, issue number 10. I haven't checked. I'm hoping Parker is still on it. I hope this is not a book that just gets passed around uh, from artist to artist. Because I feel like that is sort of a sign of a downfall of a book mm-hmm. is when you don't have somebody who is consistent on it. Um, and of course, ultimately, what I would love to see is Scotty Young returning, but I don't think that will happen often or ever. Because let's just be I honest. I don't think it's going to happen ever. I know. But it does say that Jacob Parker is the artist on number 10. Okay, great. Then as far, as long as that's happening, then I will continue checking it out. Because, you know, as fun as Rocket is as a character, he needs to have a fun element to his style. And he, he needs to be very stylized and, and dynamic and exciting. And when you have, when, I don't know, when it's, but this last issue is all very serious and a little muddled. It just didn't work, I don't know, for mm-hmm. the character. It could have worked other places. I don't know, I don't even know if that art worked in a superhero book. Which the, the, the other artist that was on the, yeah, Philippe the, the last, Grande. Yeah, <clears throat> he, uh, I think, yeah, he did some work on Captain Marvel. Um, it's definitely a style that not a lot of people seem to be taken by, as, at least in the books that he's been on. I, I, maybe he's been uh, miscast, so to speak. Um, and not, but, not to say that he's a bad artist. I don't want to make it seem like I'm saying that. I just think that his, his... haven't quite found the book that he excel on yet. Yeah, and I, and I feel like if... I mean, obviously everybody, as, as great as indie books are, you really do want to be working on the big two. Because, you know, more money to be made, more prestige, more people are going to see your art. I understand that entirely. But I don't think necessarily as far as art goes, everybody's style is going to fit on a cape book. Exactly, yeah. I agree. Well, good. I'm glad you agree, Nick. If you didn't, we would probably have to, like, fight through the computer. Alright, well, continuing the Marvel train, let's transition over to all-new Hawkeye. It's all-new. It's, if anything, premature. Yeah, I can't believe they did this. Uh, Matt Fraction's Hawkeye is not ending until April. And here we have the first issue of the Jeff Lemire Perez run Hawkeye, all new Hawkeye number one. Yeah, I mean, yes. Uh, you know, it comes down to the publishing thing again. It's, uh, you know, the, the nature of the Matt Fraction Hawkeye is that David Aya just needed more time on the art. More and more and more time. Who knows how this final issue is going to shake out. I don't think anyone thought that it was going to end with um, Kate and Clint, or one uh, one or the other, you know, being somehow radically changed forever. Mm-hmm. Um, there is one hint to the to the run, though. What? Uh, where Where is it? Um, okay. Just wanted to hear you say it twice, since it's so rare. The hearing aids Stark hooked me up with are pretty amazing, actually. 
Yeah, okay, so Barney, uh, not Barney, so Clint's still deaf. Mm-hmm. Um, which, you know, is fine. I know I know that uh, in, in the real world, Clint, uh, Clint, <laughs> Hawkeye, um, there's, there was press where there was a, there was a child that um, didn't want to wear, I think it was a he, his hearing aids. Mm-hmm. Um, and his mom wrote to Marvel saying, like, do you have any superheroes, you know, that wear hearing aids or, or, or that are hard of hearing? Uh, that would inspire him to um, wear his hearing aids. So Marvel was like, there is in fact a hero because uh, uh, Hawk Hawkeye's had previous experiences with being hard of hearing. Mm-hmm. I think they um, even mentioned that in his little backstory stuff. Um, but uh, they also create a, a superhero called Blue Ear because mm-hmm. I guess I think the ear the earpieces the kid was wearing were blue. Uh, basically, as the, as a new superhero identity, they would team up with like Iron Man and Hawkeye or something like that, um, all, all all for this kid. So, so I don't know if that inspired Matt because this I think that all took place prior to Matt Fraction's run. So I don't know if one inspired the other or what you know what what have you. But um, it's 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 something where it's a it doesn't really impact the story. You know, it's just a thing of the character. Whereas, okay, he has these these hearing aids that basically allow him to hear like a normal person. So, as long as he has them in, there's really no conflict there. There's no there's no issue. So, I mean, I could see a, an upcoming issue where like they get taken out and he has to like navigate someplace without being able to hear, which would be really cool. Mm-hmm. There you go, Lemire. Take my idea. Well, well, they they kind of they kind of already did that though, didn't they? In the uh, in the fraction run, there's that whole issue where it's all through like sign language. But yeah, saying, but he's not. I mean, like I'm thinking, like in this issue, he's in there in a hydra base. I'm thinking, like if he like, like he's in a hydra base, like there's just no noise at all. Anything. Yeah, you know, in that one, he's just like kind of upset that he can't hear. Mm-hmm. But. Um, this, this Hawkeye seems like it's going to, based only on the first issue, whereas Matt Fraction's run was, this is what Hawkeye does when he's not working. Uh This is, this is Hawkeye working, but it's juxtaposed with more down to earth stories involving his childhood with his brother and growing up in the circus. Um, well, the circus, I thought it was a foster home. He he started in a foster home and then then they go to the circus. That's right. That's right. Um, you know, the ending, it shows them arriving at the circus. It also shows um, some kids right of Akira um, that yeah, totally uh, have some kind of experiment done to them. Um, so it's, you know, it, it, maybe this book will go back to a, a down-to-earth uh, approach, but uh, it looks like it could be telling a more, um, what's more I'm looking for, psychedelic story. Superhero story okay, little, on, little, the, little, on the job. A little more superhero, which I don't think is necessarily a bad thing. I'm glad Lemire isn't just looking like, all right, this is what Fraction was doing. Let's just keep doing what Fraction was doing. Exactly. That's, Lemire that's kind of... has a strong enough voice on his own that he's going to approach it in his own way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I really felt uh, like that would be very disingenuous to just continue that status quo yeah. and not to make it his own. Exactly. The the artwork uh, I've I've enjoyed Ramon Perez's artwork. I know he used to do a a web comic called Butternut Squash. I think it was Butter yeah Butternut Squash. I think, uh, and he's been doing uh, various uh, short stints for Marvel over the last few years. Uh, the last thing he did, I think, was Spider Man Learning to Crawl. Uh, he did an arc of Wolverine and the X Men. Uh, he did a, a a John Carter miniseries. Um, so he's he's been around for a while. His artwork, 
uh, is definitely more traditional, at least the way the, the panels are laid out. On most pages, you do have, like, the the one I had mentioned where it like it shows Hawkeye running down a hallway, and then I, I, I assume they're supposed to be windows or, or, or into something, but instead mm-hmm. of showing whatever's actually in the room, it shows his brother and him on bikes trying to get away. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's one where a Hydra shoulder is being hit with an arrow, but inside the body of the Hydra agent, you see it's his brother and memory. him. I love that panel. That panel is so great. Yeah. Um, so yeah. definitely taking some artistic chances, um, but but paying off. No, absolutely. And I, I think it's so interesting that how they do this, uh, you know, the the then storyline, these, these flashbacks is in a totally different feel where it has that sort of dreamlike quality to it, uh, where everything you know like it, it's not it's not these big solid lines everything kind of bleeds into each other like you really have to look at it to see where does one thing end and another begin sometimes mm-hmm. and i thought that's a really great way of representing memory but then you know then you have it compared against what's happening now where everything keeps and i don't want to say like they're copying uh david aya they're they're definitely keeping um a, a similar enough aesthetic feel as far as like how the panels are composed which is totally fine they 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 pull it off uh, really well, um, but I just really like that the, the difference that you know these two different storylines have, mm-hmm. um, like the the sort of dreamlike quality of memory, and then the crisp uh, crisp awareness of now sort of thing. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I'm really uh, I, I'm you know I, I'm liking the story. I'm curious to see. Uh, what exactly their plan is as they're moving forward uh, with all of this. I like, I kind of like seeing them doing, I mean, obviously they're doing something for S.H.I.E.L.D., so it's superhero-ish, it's super spy-ish. Mm-hmm. Um, I like seeing Clint and um, and Kate as friends again. Like, yes, they always kind of banter at each other, and that, but I thought their banter was really well done. Uh, like, all of the whole things of... Uh, because you're my protege, because you love me, and because there are millions of these hydra morons and they suck. Um, I, you know, I, with so much of the book of them being divided and at each other's throats, it's nice to see them together. And I like that moment when he calls her Catherine, and she gets pissed at him. And he's like, "What? You told me not to call you Katie anymore." Because I think she wants to be called. Or like, uh, so Catherine, what are you, my dad? Like she wants to be Hawkeye, but he's not willing to let her be that. <laughs> Yeah, well, he keeps he dangling it over her head. Yeah, well, I guess he did call her Hawkeye a bunch during the Fraction run. Um, but anyway, it's it's just great to see them uh, teaming up and doing superhero stuff togethers. It was good. It was good stuff. I mean, you know, just we're just going to have to accept the fact that Fraction's run uh, will never actually end. Yeah. Uh, do you really want it to? You want? You just want? It'd rather be unfinished. It, it as better it's, it's... freaking end at this point. <laughs> how much uh, are you gonna go through. back and uh, reread it once uh, it's all done? I would like so... to. I'm probably gonna wait till it's collected in trade, and I'm not mm-hmm. so angry anymore. Um, <laughs> I, Let I, the feeling subside. I never realized that uh, when uh, wait, what's the, uh, Lucky? What's the dog's name? Lucky, right? I uh, believe so. Yeah. yeah. When Lucky like shows up, did he read the last issue? Not, I mean, the penultimate issue. I don't I don't think so. Okay, well the the last panel is Lucky is standing in this doorway and and Clint sees him and he's got this arrow in his mouth. And people pointed out later I didn't realize it's his boomerang arrow. And he says earlier in the run, 
Yeah, boomerang arrow. It always comes back. Which was a nice little, uh, nice little foreshadowing. Nice little touch there. Uh, so please just get us that last issue. I just can't take it anymore. I'm just so. <laughs> I have it's no so energy. Long. I have no energy left. There's no hate left inside of me. Now, did you want to talk about Nameless, or do you want to push it back one more week? I, I think I, we will talk about it when you've read it more. I want to talk about it a little bit, though. Okay, go ahead. Um, nameless, which because we said last time that, hey, we'll, we'll hold off uh, talking about it until issue two comes out. Mm -hmm. And then you didn't read issue two, so... But you, I you started suck. issue one. <laughs> That's all that matters. Oh, so you you've, you haven't even finished issue one. No, I, I started before we tried to do the show last night. Okay. I haven't gone back. Okay, so that's why. So when you said to me that you're like, oh, it's all very surreal and cerebral. So there's totally a reason for that. And oh, I, I knew there was a reason, yeah. but I was, I was just not feeling well. I was like, <laughs> No, no, I completely understand. And it's because I texted you after I read this issue that surprisingly, given what the story is, uh, mm -hmm. It's Grant Morrison uh, writing and, and Chris Burnham. This is totally a story where Grant Morrison could do what Grant Morrison does and kind of just get lost in his concept and have entire pages where you read through it and you're like, oh, man, I have no idea what anybody just said. Time to get high. Yeah, essentially. Uh, but I actually feel like this is a very coherent story. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Like everything – you know, you know, the first half of the first issue in um, – you know, it all it, and it's all pretty obvious. It all takes place in a dream, uh, but so that is very, very surreal and very typical Morrison. But after that, everything has you know the clarity of the real world, and everything is very orderly. And in this issue, we're continuing that. And yes, they're talking about some really crazy concepts, but you get everything. Everything you know, you you understand exactly what they're saying. If uh, if the main character who's called Nameless, the, if he um, if he says, you know, something kind of bizarre, someone else will either ask for an explanation or they'll say something that's going to kind of fill in the information, which is really nice when you have them talking about these really crazy, bizarre concepts. Mm -hmm. um, I also really like that it's called Nameless because I'm, I, I, you know, the whole thing is he's called, he, he, he doesn't, he gave up his name so that nobody can have power over him. Mm -hmm. Um which I really, I don't know. I like that concept on these old site, you know, in these old uh, fantasy stories where if you know something's true name, you have the power over it. Um, I'm reading name of the wind right now. And that's actually a big theme of that book. Interesting. Mm -hmm. um, like if, you know, if, if you know the name of the wind, the wind will do whatever you want. Cause you have power over it. I did get, um, uh, far enough into the first issue where, uh, he meant, they mentioned that, that he gave up his name so no one would have power. And then one of like the cronies or something is just like technically nameless is a name. Well, and, and but they, they kind of continue that trend where someone says like in this issue, do I call you nameless? And he's like, you can call me nameless. You can call me this. You can call me that. Like you can call me whatever you want. It's just that he gets referred to as nameless, but it, you know, he, he doesn't have an official moniker. Um, so yes, for uh, for Grant Morrison, surprisingly an add up story. I'm also enjoying uh, Chris Burnham's art. He's kind of got a Frank Quitely feel, mm. uh, without being without being Frank Quitely. The faces aren't quite as misshapen, but they're still a little bit. Uh, and there's this one girl in it, like kind of the main girl. She's just got these really huge eyes. I don't know. It's kind of, <laughs> I'm 
I'm kind of like drawn to them each time because I'm like they're just so big. Um, there's also some really really disturbing stuff as you saw in like the first issue. Uh, but I'm definitely digging Nameless. We'll we'll dig more into the story after issue three comes out and you've read it because I don't really want to say anything because I'm really liking it and I think there's some really cool twists and turns. Uh, okay, maybe not. There's not been any big twists and turns yet, but there's some. It's taking us down some cool alleyways that I think it's better to experience naturally than mm -hmm. to be told what they're going to be. Cool. I'm down. Well, good. You better be. Well, good. Well, fine. Well, okay. All right. Next subject. Next subject. Now, this isn't. Uh, do you have any? Uh, did, did you want to say anything else about the other two books on the list? Um. Maybe we'll wait and we'll talk about Saga once this next arc wraps up. Okay. Um, and then I'll just say briefly, you know, I mentioned before, like, I'm not, like, a huge Star Wars person, but I, I picked up Princess Leia for for uh, Anna to read, and by that I mean secretly I really wanted to read it. <laughs> um, but I, I did read it, and um, it's written by Mark Wade and drawn by Terry Dodson. Uh -huh. And um, I, thought it, I thought it was good. It, it kind of... It, you know, basically what all we're reading about is stories that fill in the gap between episodes four and five. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so, and for me, I'm, you know, because it, it gets to be all new for me. I don't have to care that there was like 20 plus years of Dark Horse history in there. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's cool seeing what the characters were up to between films. Uh, and it's, it's almost a like, oh, that, like I, that totally makes sense kind of concept where this basically involves Princess Leia trying to gather all the lost Alderanians um, that are left since the planet was destroyed. Mm -hmm. um, so she's basically going on a Pokemon quest for five <laughs> issues. Um, but it, it's, I thought it was, I thought it was written fairly well. The second half felt a little rushed, um, but I, the, the opening really drew me in following what happened directly after the ceremony at the end of a new hope mm -hmm. you know you just like okay what do they do after that and it's, it shows you so i thought that was interesting um okay so uh, i mean if you like star wars if you like mark wade if you like princess leia it was pretty good check it out very cool uh yeah i was in my shop uh yesterday picking up my books and there was this woman in there with her two small kids and they were picking up princess leia and darth vader because, you know, these little kids were super excited and they wanted to to read these comics. And I thought that was so cool. I thought that, you know, that also showed, like, the far-reaching power of comics. And, and really kind of that, uh, you know, we get, we get really bitchy about stuff. But sometimes, you know, it's all about some little kid is going to pick up an, an issue of, of Princess Leia and love it. Uh, it also really shows, you know, so many people were upset that all this dark horse history is now gone and thrown out the thrown out the window but for you know for that all being gone there are now two little kids who picked up comics and were able to read it and have probably seen the movies and that's all the information they needed to to be able to read it and understand and i thought that was really great yeah it, it sucks for the previous generation it's a great boon for the next generation yeah. it's hard feeling like You've just been told that everything you care about is irrelevant. I mean, sure, like that sucks. Yeah, but I mean that's just the nature of you know these these books aren't being made for these these books are being made for us in the present. But that doesn't mean that that you know 
that Marvel, DC, Star Wars, Disney, Warner Bros., whoever, that, like, that, that these characters need to stay consistent with how I want them up until my death. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and Dark Horse people, you know, you, you had a good 20, 30 years or whatever of, of you know, issues and content, and, you know, now it's time for a new generation of people to experience Star Wars and, and get on it on the ground level, so... Suck it up is what I'm saying, which is like I'll totally, yeah. I'll totally reverse this in a couple of years when something I love gets decimated horribly. Yeah, no, I know. We'll be, we'll be 20 years from now. We'll just be like, oh man, how are they doing that? But why are you know, they beating? It, why are they rebooting the DC universe again? <laughs> but it's, yeah, it's, yeah. Oh yeah, I can't think of what I was trying to say. It's, it's just a funny concept, like the, the fact that I can totally understand why people get upset when when there's great upheaval you know mm -hmm. why would you want everything you know and love to to change but you know that's it's one thing if like my house got get, gets wrecked in like a hurricane you know but sometimes i feel like people have the same emotional reaction when it comes to like comic books or pop culture or things like that and it's just like like i don't think i've ever gotten that emotionally invested in it the, the last time i experienced that was uh, anything like it was when Marvel did One More Day with Spider-Man. I was so turned off by it. Oh, I was so upset. Man. And all my friends who were, none of them were comic book readers, were just like, oh, yeah, like, we, we totally, like, they, they knew everything that they needed to know about that whole thing because I wouldn't shut up about it. <laughs> and now looking back, I'm just like, Nick, it's not that big of a deal. But, you know, I, I mean, I still think the, the stories, you know, uh, I think the, the, I'm okay with, what they were trying to achieve, I just thought that how they went about it, especially using a devil-like character, mm -hmm. was the wrong way to go. Especially with a character like Peter Parker. Yeah. If it was like Wolverine, they'd be like, whatever. Uh, good times. But anyway, I think that kind of does it for comic books, at least on the comic book comic book side of things. I think it does. Um, now, as we transition into our topic of conversation... Uh, this week um the reason that i brought it up and i never fully explained to you nick why i posed this question to you uh is because i have really gotten into these uh these things called honest trailers which they take movies you know typically uh current ones they've done a couple ones that are like a couple you know, like 10 20 years old but then they they just kind of uh do a whole big satire of it um, sometimes they're really like attacking it. Sometimes they're just nitpicking like uh, Captain America Winter Soldier. They say like, this movie's great. So we're just going to nitpick because we can't really think of negative things to say. Mm -hmm. um, but I was watching the one for Iron Man 3 and you and I kind of have differing opinions on Iron Man 3, which is fine. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Uh, but one thing that I thought, and they, they, they pointed out something uh, that I didn't think about before that I really liked is that they were they were doing such a great job in that movie of updating the Mandarin um, before they did the whole Ben Kingsley is really a shill and it's it's really Killian uh, which I didn't think was too strong of a reveal I, I get it it made sense but I really enjoyed the direction they were taking with the Mandarin and uh, you know, that making him this this sort of uh, this warlord, this amalgamation of cultures, um, kind of feeding like he would be feeding on the fear, uh, you know, of of Americans by presenting himself as this Middle Eastern terrorist. But they said in like behind the scenes stuff that really he's, you know, he's all these things from all these different cultures. So the question that I then turned around 
and pose to you uh, and myself at the same time is to take a, a an old villain, um, doesn't have to be prominent, but update them uh, into the modern era. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they're like a, a, a villain who maybe worked really well in, in the 50s, 60s, or 70s, but just, or, you know, didn't work very well, um, but just who doesn't have a modern equivalent or hasn't appeared in the modern age. So were you able to think of anything? I mean, I picked one, but I, re- I didn't really have time to like conceptualize everything I wanted to about it. But the name is badass. Okay. His name is Moses Magnum. Moses Magnum. How? I kind of want to change my name to Moses Magnum. You want to change your name to, uh, to Max Power? Moses Max. Magnum. Um, you know, he's, um, he appeared a lot in like the 70s uh, and 80s. He's only appeared a couple of times in the, the 2000s. Um, he's, he was basically a, a, a terrorist kind of guy, you know. Uh, and then at some point along the lines, he accidentally gets like earthquake powers, something I think like, I think that's what it was. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he still gets his ass kicked. Um, but just the name Moses Magnum, I just feel like, that's someone who like totally needs to be retooled from the ground up and reintroduced and just be like a formidable threat for somebody. <laughs> yeah. Cause come on, Moses Magnum. Moses. That's like, that's like the name of a, of a, a Pacific Rim robot. Oh, it totally is. Right. Oh man. So maybe I'll reimagine him as a Pacific Rim robot. And Moses Magnum in Gypsy Danger. Uh, it's funny when in, in Rocket Raccoon, they were, uh, at some point, Rocket's looking at Groot and his, like, monsters become, and he calls him a kaiju. Uh, and I know, like, kaiju's an actual phrase, but just, you know, with Pacific Rim, I can't help but think that that's where they uh, they went with that. Yeah, very possible. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, so unfortunately, I'm not quite living up to the standards of the question, but I... It actually was a really hard question after I presented it. Because a lot of villains, like have been kind of updated in a way. Mm-hmm. So like I get what you're saying as far as like like the way the Mandarin was was portrayed in Iron Man. And I'll agree. I was when I first saw Iron Man and they did the, the switch, I was like, oh I didn't see that coming. And then it was just like which no one did. Um but then I was like and it almost upset me that I didn't get what I thought I wanted. Mm-hmm. And upon further viewings, once I realized that the whole movie they're constantly trying to play up expectations uh, or play off of expectations. Um, you, you, you start to kind of just appreciate the, the magic act they're trying to do. Not so much like, I, well, I this is it. what I wanted, you know, right. this is what I expected. I'm not, yeah, I'm not saying that I, I don't, I don't get it. And I don't on some level appreciate it. If it was anybody but the Mandarin, maybe I'd be a little more like, Oh, no big deal. But I just thought they were doing such a good job. Yeah, with, with... I guess that, that is like there is a disappointment factor in that. Though I guess they did a a short. Uh, I, haven't, uh, I haven't watched or that something yet. Where, uh, where it, Trevor's it deals in jail. With, uh, Trevor Slattery in prison or something. And it, it hints that there could be a bigger Mandarin threat than that they actually co opted the name from someone. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. Hmm. Well, yeah, because they talked about uh, in, in some interviews and stuff that there's still a possibility that a Mandarin is out there. And there's the whole thing with the Ten Rings. Like, there was the tribe of the Ten Rings in the first Iron Man movie. Yeah. Yeah, that they don't go back into. So, I don't know if it'll ever be explored. If you know, I don't think we're going to get an Iron Man four, at least with Robert Downey Jr. But we'll see. Um, we'll see. All right. Well, my character, um, 
you know, I found one that, that I thought of a way to modernize, but it's still kind of crappy because he's a really terrible character. But I'm going to do my best, best at it. Man. <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, his name is the Ten-Eyed Man. Okay. Okay, yeah. So this is an old... So I, I went with an old Batman villain because I didn't want to go because I don't have a ton of knowledge on, you know, on a bunch of Marvel superheroes, like really in-depth knowledge. Um, so I wanted to go with the villain of a hero that I know well and that I felt like I could update in a way. So the Ten-Eyed Man was this old... Uh, it's so crappy. Uh, it's this old Batman villain who uh, was like special forces in Vietnam and he loses his eyesight and has some accident where he can see through his fingers i'm not kidding you uh and so it gives him like this you know like 360 um 360 like view like limited periscopic vision he's really trained at uh at fighting but he's constantly defeated by being tricked into catching stuff um so it's it's you know it's a really it's a really crappy villain and he was uh um he was actually killed off during Crisis, or the, the Infinite Crisis, um, at the request of... Uh, hold on, let me let me look up. It was actually the request of somebody kind of big that he got uh, killed off. Um, Marv, apparently, it's reported that Marv Wolfman wanted him, among a list of other characters, uh, to die <laughs> and, and never reappear. So... Uh-huh. Uh, and in Morrison, well, not necessarily Morrison, but during the 52 series, there was sort of a, a brief revival of the idea, quote unquote, where there, there was this nomadic tribe who fought demons who called themselves the Ten-Eyed Men of the Empty Quarter. Hmm. Um, and they wore blindfolds and they had uh, eyes tattooed uh, on their fingers, similar to like the Ten-Eyed Man's um, like eyes he ha- he'd have on a suit. Hmm. So taking sort of that idea and this old idea... My idea was you have somebody who, you know, kind of has that sort of bent on revenge that, that Batman does where somebody wrongs him or, uh, you know, or somebody, uh, something happens to drive him to be evil. And he goes off and he gets trained by this tribe of people who do like the ten-eyed, you know, the ten-eyed technique or whatever you want to call it, where um, – by where you know they, they train their bodies and by wearing like blindfolds they're able to heighten their other senses and they can kind of like feel vibrations in the air and stuff where it's you know they're they're very difficult to to fight because they can kind of they have this feel of the entire area around themselves by you know like when you move through the air they can sense it and and have trained their reflexes to you know to go against that um and you know have him be somebody who uh you know, when he kind of raises up and finishes his training, he would kill everyone else in the tribe, um, so that no, you know, nobody could go search out a way to defeat him, uh, based on you know his his other teachers and stuff. And he just you know comes back to try and get his revenge, and he's just crazy and insanely good martial artist. Um, so, yes, it's a terrible character, and I don't <laughs> think I did a very good job at modernizing him. But that would be my take on, you know, on taking a concept that's really bad. And this is kind of the best that I feel like I can do with it. Maybe some concepts just can't be. No, and that's true. And that's what I've learned. And, you know, that's maybe if I had some more time um, to really kind of look at some other characters. But this is the one that I came across that I was like, this is so bad. Is there anything I can do? And that was the best I can do. Um, but, hey, you know, I didn't think it was I didn't think it was the worst I could have done. I did. I pat you on the back. 
Uh, on the back. Oh. Uh, okay. Like here's here's one way he's defeated in Batman: The Brave and the Bold. Uh, Batmite gives Batman a cactus. Uh, he defeats the Ten-Eyed Man by tricking him into catching it. Like that's huh. the kind of crap. He, so I'm, like what I'm thinking of is like a Daredevil-esque villain, is how I would modernize him, but not blind. On purpose, or I, mean, I guess it would be more blind on purpose. But anyway, <sighs> Nick, are you ready for a quiz? No, go for it. All right. Uh, if you fail this, et cetera, et cetera, something terrible will happen to your family. Blah blah blah. Because uh, I, I'm gonna give you a quick uh, Avengers quiz. All right. Now we're talking like not not Avengers: Age of Ultron because I'm sure there is plenty of of stuff about that, but we're just gonna go with uh, with Avengers the first. I don't know. Avengers the first. Marvel's the Avengers. The first movie. Yes. Oh okay. Yeah. Uh, so uh, so prepare yourself. So I'm going to ask you a couple of things that are going to be easy, but I'm going to try and find some hard ones as well. All right, go for it. All right. True or false? Every time Tony Stark ate something in the movie, it was scripted. False. That's true. It was never scripted. Robert Downey Jr. was just hungry. Wait. Yeah, I, I meant that it, it was not scripted. Yeah, no, I know. Oh, okay, so one. I was right. Yes. Cool. All right. <clears throat> Samuel Jackson... Uh, with Samuel Jackson's role as Nick Fury in the film, he is now the third actor to appear as the same character in five different superhero movies. What other two actors have done the same? Repeat that question. So, with Samuel Jackson's role as Nick Fury in this film, he is now the third actor to play the same comic book super superhero in five different movies. Name the two other actors who have done the same. This is a weird question. It's, it's uh, just in all superhero movies. Like, not, not just from Marvel. Not just from Marvel. Um, Chris Evans. Wait, did you say two? Yeah, there's two actors. Chris Evans. With, 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 the, with the release of The Avengers. With the release of The Avengers. So this is back in 2012. Good times back then. Three. Oh my god, three years ago. Um... Chris Evans and who else? Not One of these should be really, really obvious. You would think. I'm trying to think of the whole team. Now this is this isn't necessarily just Marvel movies, or or D Disney. Movies. I'm just thinking. I'm just thinking of comic book movies. Okay. Because right. um, I know that like Samuel Jackson was in the Spirit. Um, now this, this is people. No, this is people who have played the same character. Oh. So the Hulk. There's someone else. There's two actors. In the Avengers. No, not in the Avengers. In just superhero movies. Oh, and um, what's his name? Uh, Jim Rhodes, um, Don, Don Cheadle, Hulk, and Don Cheadle. In five different movies. No. Oh my god. I don't understand. This question's bothering the crap out Okay, of me. okay. I've asked it to you in like three different ways. Okay, Samuel Jackson played Nick Fury in this movie. Yes. That was his fifth time appearing as Nick Fury. Yes. Okay. 
There are two other actors in superhero movie history who have played the same character in five different films. Oh, uh, Tony Stark and Wolverine. Okay. Well, yep. Well, I need actors. Oh, Robert Downey Jr. and Hugh Jackman. Okay, you got Hugh Jackman correct. The other is Christopher Reeve. Oh, what the heck? Really? Yep. One. There was no only four Superman films. But then he had a spot on Smallville. Is that what you're counting? Actually, you know, now that we're bringing this up, because uh, I'm totally kind of basing this off of a random website I found. So <laughs> As you do all your quizzes. As I do all my quizzes. Um, you know, this might just result in me just tossing this question out entirely. <laughs> uh, let's see. He did appear in Smallville as Dr. Swan... Um, Superman 4, uh, maybe this piece of trivia was crap. Maybe I'll, maybe we'll skip it. <laughs> Fine. Nice going. Whatever. It's more your fault than anything. Yeah, it is. Okay. Well, well, fine. Uh, what two actors who appear in the Avengers also appeared in the spirit? Uh, Scarlett Johansson and Samuel L. Jackson. All right, those are your two easiest ones. Congratulations. Thank you. I, I feel good. Okay. Now, uh, Chris Evans and Scarlett Johansson have worked together previously in two films. One was the perfect score, named the other. Crap! That was the one I was going to answer. Uh, oh, oh, crap. She's a babysitter for someone rich. God, I can't think of the name, but I know what it is. This is so infuriating. I'm surprised you even have like a vague idea. I saw it. Oh, I'm judging you. Right. <laughs> I don't remember what it is though. It was so long ago. Are you giving up? Um. Uh, yeah, I give up. The Nanny Diaries. Uh, I did watch that. <laughs> Apparently. Why, why did I watch that? I, I don't mean, I just know. Saw the trailer for it? No, I probably watched it. Let's let's be honest. I totally watched it. I'm still judging you. <laughs> uh, oh, man. Okay. Uh, Kevin Feige, whatever his name is, uh, was quoted as saying this about a film. It set a standard for that level of ZOMG awesomeness and scale. We're trying to outdo that. We're working to try to outdo that uh, as far as the Avengers. What movie was he referring to? Uh, I did not read this interview, so I don't know. It's Transformers Dark of the Moon. They were trying to outdo Dark of the Moon? As far as a standard of ZOMG awesomeness and scale. Okay, I, I guess I'll give them that. Yeah, uh, which, you know... Let's just take a second to appreciate how crappy of a title Dark of the Moon is. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense. It really is. I mean, I, it was a Pink Floyd reference, technically. Yeah. And then stuff happened on the dark side of the moon. Okay. Dark of the moon, though. It's just so terrible. What was the fourth Transformers movie called? Was it Age of Extinction? Yes. Yeah. It was also stinky, as far as I can tell. <laughs> okay. Hmm. Okay. I didn't know this one. This is interesting. You might, though. I wouldn't be surprised. Okay. Despite the fact that uh, Disney bought the distribution right of all Marvel films, well, most Marvel films, 
Um, what studio still received partial box office royalties and appearance in advertising? Um, is it Columbia TriStar, something like that? Columbia Pictures. Is that your guess? Yes. It's Paramount Pictures. Oh, Paramount. Oh, that's what I meant. Oh, it's too bad because that's how you said it. <laughs> oh, man. I was like, I was trying to think of it's the horse. No, it's, oh, no it's the mountain. Is it the mountain? I think Paramount's the oh. mountain. Paramount. Is it Paramount Tricep? Is there a Columbia Pictures? There is a Columbia Pictures. Crap. It was Paramount. Yeah, Paramount's the mountain. Freaking mountain. Freaking mountain. Well, there you go, Nick. It hurts. You, it hurts. You failed. I mean, and you got off one question on a technicality. Yeah, um, I did. So, uh, your family is going to be uh, killed in an alien invasion, but uh, those that survive will then be subject to uh, Ultron's cruel but iron-fisted rule. Hey, let's talk yeah, about the Age of Ultron I'm okay. trailer. I'm okay with that. Well, as you should be. <laughs> Age of Ultron. Age of Ultron. Age of Ultron. Well, we talked about yeah. it. That was great. That, that was good. <laughs> that, was good. that was good, yeah. <laughs> So we have trailer three for Age of Ultron. Just... The final trailer, I believe. Is it? I, I guess so. the movie comes out in just in like a month, two months. I think it's going to be all like maybe TV spots now, just showing things we've already seen. Well, no, avoid those because this <clears throat> this is the point now where they are out of like the teaser material. Mm -hmm. So they're going to start showing actual material. Mm -hmm. Like this is why I had to start avoiding Kingsman stuff because it's like they showed way too much. Uh, anyway. Avengers Age of Ultron new trailer came out pretty awesome. It's definitely a movie where it's it's hard to pin down exactly the what the the ongoing narrative is. Mm -hmm. You know, like what's what's the through line, you know, cuz it just feels like so much is going to happen. It can't just be an A to B plot. It feels like it's going to do this, but other stuff is going to be happening over here. Let's go do that. You know, it's I mean the movie's probably going to be, you know, 2 to 3 hours it's two, long. It's 2 and a half, 150 minutes. So I'm I'm just wondering where, you know, like how exactly does the story develop? You know, is it something where they're literally living in the age of Ultron, you know, for a while? Like mm -hmm. some of the, like they're doing other things, but Ultron's around just like wrecking crap. Or is it sort of like a Ultron shows up and then it's basically downhill from there straight to the finish line. Mm -hmm. And we've kind of gotten a sense of, yes, you know, things as far as narrative structure are a little confusing. But with this, we do actually get a, a big hint at the story. And it's stuff we already suspected, uh, which is Tony Stark, um, you know, needing a hiatus from, from the Avengers. And he's no longer Iron Man. They kind of need to, you know, like they, they have limits. So he tries to build something that doesn't have limits. What does he say? A shield around the world. He yeah, he, creates... he wants to. Be, he wanted to build a suit of armor around the world. Yeah, yeah. He creates uh, the peacekeeping program Ultron, self-aware, self-teaching artificial intelligence. However, his plan backfires when Ultron decides that humans are the main enemy and sets out to eradicate them from Earth. Mm -hmm. So stuff we already knew, but you know, it's nice to get confirmation. Uh, it's cool to see, and of course, you know, for people like us who scour the internet, like yes, this is information we already knew. For the filthy casuals of the world. Uh, filthy, filthy casuals. They now, they now know. Um, one thing I really appreciate that they're not showing us 
is Ultron in action. Uh, they show all his robot drones, but they don't really show him. And yeah. we see like that one scene where Captain America chucks his shield into him, and he's just like seriously, and, you know, pulls it off and tosses it away. But that's like that's the most we get as far as actual fighting goes, and I like that. Um, there's that there's that shot of when they're all jumping together. Which, I like it. Yes, I know you like it, and I. But I think I would have liked it a lot more if my first experience of it was in a movie theater. Lights are low, sound is loud. I'm totally enthralled into the scene, and there's the slow mo where they're all jumping together. I'd have been like, "Yeah, that's so cool." But, yeah, but, but I mean, then don't watch trailers. Well, well, but I, I, that was such a cool shot. But now people have created like gifs out of it, and like if you watch it over and over again, you're kind of like, "Wait a minute." Where where did Captain America just come from? Uh, Thor is like just jumps like in the middle of the air, uh, it, like it doesn't look as great when you can just review it like on instant repeat over and over again. It's just it was a really cool moment that I kind of wish that I didn't experience on my computer for the first time. Which, yeah, this movie's going to be full of really cool moments. Um, like we haven't really seen Quicksilver in action, we haven't really seen um, Scarlet Witch in action yet. Though she's apparently going to be messing with uh, Black Widow, uh, and you know Black Widow and uh, Bruce Banner are totally getting it on. Yeah, the, the fact that they have a house together well, that okay. just happens sometime between Avengers: Winter Soldier and it, and it, this one. It might just be his house where he's hiding out, but there's just something about their interactions that yeah. all points towards. Uh, you know, there there was kind of a spark. You know, Scarlet Witch was the one that. Uh, uh, not Scarlet Witch. Uh, Black Widow was the one that. I know the fact drew... that she's named Scarlet Johansson and the character Scarlet Witch. It just, it's throwing everything off. <laughs> Time to change it. Yep. Um, you know that they 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 did kind of establish a, um, kind of a connection with them in the first Avengers film. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's so subtle though. Like you 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 wouldn't have you wouldn't need to follow up with it if you didn't want to. But it's interesting that they are. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you know, she just she wants she wants the Hulk. Who doesn't want the Hulk? Who can compare? <laughs> Disgusting. <laughs> um, also, we got a very brief look at the Vision, which was cool. It was cool, and it's funny because somebody on Reddit uh, apparently they they um, they posted a link back to their previous comment, but a few months ago. They called that exact thing happening, where what? our first look it... at him is going to be just a pair of eyes. Like when they when they show him in the trailer, it's just going to be a pair of eyes, opening up. Yeah, that's, uh, yeah. I mean, that's, that happens. That's a cool tease because it's gonna it's gonna have people being like, "Wait, who's that guy?" And for all of us, we're like, "Oh man, oh man, it's the vision." The vision. Uh, and you're wondering how big of a role is he going to play? Like, how much of the movie is he going to be in? No, ex- exactly. And I kind of wonder is he because he's going to be, uh, you know, it's going to be Tony Stark being like, we need, you know, we need a little extra help. Um, and but I wonder if he's going to be like the the opposite of um, Ultron. If he's going to end up being ultimately the hero. Well, most more than likely. Yeah. Sorry, I just ruined the film for everybody. <laughs> nice uh, going, man. Yeah. Yeah, he's a little more purple than red, though. I mean, people might freak out about that. I'm just kidding. No one cares. Did you hear uh, Michelle Rodriguez's comments? I did. Um, 
Um, unless she's updated, I know that she 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 said something in passing when she it was... was being bum rushed by reporters, and then she came back around and said elaborated on it. Um, it was very it was very off the cuff. Yeah. Um, which I just think it's so interesting. People are freaking out. Like this is a comment that you would make to like your friends, and obviously like stuff you're going to say in private is not necessarily stuff you would say in public. But just for her to like throw an opinion out there and everyone just to like attack her and malign her for it. And for those who who haven't heard it, it's um, she basically said something along the lines of like you know because she was rumored to be a, a Green Lantern, and she said stop taking all the white people superheroes like make up your own. Um, which is totally, you know, whatever. I don't care that she said that. You know, I think people who are getting all up in arms about it really need to just kind of like relax. There's more important things going on in the yeah. world. For she sure. she is not a uh, an executive producer of any of these films. She has no say in this crap. And even like, I, I even get like why she would say something like that. Where, yes, there should totally be more original superheroes who have, who are you know who are black or Hispanic or whatever. Um. And I get we don't have a lot of that, so it's like yeah, let's you know let's change up the race of a couple of these iconic characters, and it'll be you know it'll be fine. Um, I don't know. It's just weird that everyone's freaking out over it. Oh yeah, I mean if we and because you know we obviously have we don't have important more important things to do, so we're going to talk about it. Of course. Um, if we're unpacked where Carmen is, she she's not wrong. Like it would be at the time the comic books sort of proliferated. It was it was an uber white society. They were all white. It just kind of you know is what it is. When you start to uh, add in black characters, they were all like Black Goliath, Black Panther, Black this, Black that. Like don't forget they're black. Oh, what um, was that great? Uh, yeah, the day when all of the uh, all the black superheroes needed to have names like uh, you know Black Panther, Black Condor, Black Green Lantern. <laughs> yep. You know, and and one thing, and this and this isn't Michelle Rodriguez's fault at all. Again, I I, I just think it's stupid that people are up in arms. Ups and arms. Green, she was being rumored to play Green Lantern, and she probably, and I don't know how well versed in Green Lantern she is. She's probably so, not very well versed. So probably, so probably not very well. Um, Green Lantern would be the the one character where you would be like where. It, it could be anybody, simply because you, at least as far as human Green Lanterns go, you do have. You know, like five human Green Lanterns of various ethnicities. You know, Hal Jordan and Guy Gardner are white. Kyle Rayner's half Hispanic, I believe, and then John Stewart's black. And then you have Jessica Cruz, who I believe is also would be considered Hispanic. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so there's precedent there that they really could make Green Lantern anyone. Now you think of the Justice League, and you think of the the traditional Justice League, and that would be Hal Jordan. You know, from the comics. But they could still go with John Stewart. They could still go with Kyle Rayner, with Guy Gardner, or with a female Green Lantern. Mm -hmm. um, and it would certainly up the you know female from from one to to, to more than one. Um, but if you but if you take your comments and, and apply them over other characters, then you know let's say like Peter Parker and Miles Morales. Now a lot of people are, are arguing about you know. That, that, that there's rumors that Marvel slash Sony might go with um, an, an ethnic Spider-Man or non-white Spider-Man. It always seems weird saying ethnic as if being it white does. isn't an ethnicity. Right, no. Uh, yeah. <laughs> a non-white Spider-Man. I'm never sure exactly how to phrase it, but yeah. I know. It, 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 yeah. But, um, you know, and then there's a lot of squabbling about, like, you know, 
you know, are they going to make Peter Parker black? Well, if they're going to make Par- Peter Parker black, why not just use Miles Morales? And then it's it's sort of like, and then I, I know uh, Dan Slott, the writer of Amazing Spider-Man, went on Twitter and was like, are you going back and forth with fans about how like he didn't, he wouldn't care if they made Peter Parker black, that it was a product of his time that he, that he would be black. But if you were trying to be reflective of the world outside your window, you know, there's no reason why Peter Parker could, you know, there's nothing. Right, he could be anyone. There's, it's one, it's, it's weird with white characters and maybe this is something that isn't being said because they were kind of just, they were developed as the quote unquote norm, you know? And I, I guess this is, I can only say this as a white person, you know, cause obviously it's normal to me, but I mean, at the time, like I'm talking in like the forties, the fifties and the sixties where the primary buyers of these products were white people, you know, at the time he was white and that was just what was accepted. You don't think any of the fact that he was white, you know, there could, there, there's no reason why there wouldn't be like a black or Hispanic kid growing up in Queens, you know, that would go to a science fair or anything like that. Like there's, there's nothing white about it. So it's something where people like Peter Parker or Johnny Storm could be, um, turned into a, a black, a black person could play them and you could still play their story without having to make it, and I, I'm saying this somewhat facetiously, overtly black. Mm-hmm. Um, but then when you get when when they start introducing characters like Black Panther or Luke Cage or the Falcon or something like that, I mean the Falcon's backstory, yes, but not necessarily the name the Falcon. But there's there's something almost overtly black about them where you couldn't necessarily imagine there being a white Luke Cage or a white Black Panther. Um, yeah, when when it comes to definitely uh, like non-white heroes, um, because they were white for so long, when they did get introduced, their ethnicity was definitely a lot more core to their character. Mm-hmm. Where when you have people like, um, you know, like Batman, Superman, Iron Man, uh, you know, that's not core to who they are. It's just they were white because all the people making them were white, and it's all this big you know power fantasy thing. Exactly. And and it's one of those things where you could have, like, I know on the, the Squadron Supreme, which is a Marvel comic, they had a character named uh, Nighthawk, who was essentially Black Batman. You know, mm-hmm. you don't say White Batman. You don't, you don't, like, you don't look at Bruce Wayne, or at Batman and go, that's White Batman. It's right. just, that's Batman. That's the norm. Not to say the fact that he's white, but just because he's always been that. So when you go and change it, there's no reason why you can't have the same story about a wealthy black family that gets gunned down that, you know, their son grows up to become a super ninja and fights crime in the city. Right. And, and, and him being black would still just be uh, an aesthetic of the character and not necessarily core to who he is. So I think that's something where we, we could be, I don't think there's, I think first off, don't take it too seriously enjoy it for what it is mm-hmm. and ultimately if there is just an actor who happens to be black that you know just totally embodies the the, the personality and the essence of peter parker which to me is not white kid mm-hmm. you know then give him a shot it doesn't mean that you can't go back to having a white actor it, it's another thing though where and, and this is something where the 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 life of how much the, the life cycle of these things like take uh, alan scott from dc comics for example you know he since the 40s was you know a prototypical white male you know married had kids etc cetera, etc cetera. um and then with the new 52 part of earth 2 is that alan scott was actually gay mm-hmm. um which you know kind of erases all of that so to speak 
And so the thing, imagine if, like, say, 10, 15 years down the line, DC reboots uh, again and they reintroduce Alan Scott back as being straight. You know, I'm just trying to imagine what kind of arguments are going to take place there. Like, here you had this prominent, you know, gay character and now you're kind of taking it back. Like, it's almost like it, it, some people could be of the perception, you know, I might not say care if Alan Scott is 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 turned back from gay or not but maybe someone who is gay would care mm-hmm. so i'm wondering if like if there's a hesitancy from these from these companies from the publishers or the movie studios or something where if they did take a character who was always white and then change them to black or hispanic or asian or something that then that would just be that then they would be stuck that way and that they couldn't be like okay well we did asian spider-man for this but we want to go back and do white spider-man you know, whatever. Yeah, I think that that they that they would feel stuck that like them trying to go back to way the way that it was is would be seen as regressive by the general mm, audience. I, well, I think I think the the bigger issue is that the internet exists, uh, <laughs> and what I mean by that is, like, let's say they're casting for this new movie, and they come across a, a Hispanic kid, and they're like, man, this kid really really gets Peter Parker. Or he really gets the character of Spider-Man. Um, you know, change the name slightly. He's essentially the same character, but he really captures the spirit. He's you know he's got the attitude. It's great. Let's put him in the suit. Let's put him in there. Um, and then you know, yeah, like you're saying, like 15 years down the line, all this great stuff we're doing right now with the Avengers and all that. It's like, all right, we've kind of played its course. Let's kind of start things from scratch. We're still going to make Spider-Man movies because they're still going to make a buttload of money. Um. Oh man, we found this. We found this kid, this white kid, who, in the same way, really captures the the essence of the character, the vitality of it. Okay, like this is the right choice, just as this Hispanic kid was the right choice 15 years ago. Let's yeah. go with it. You are going to have people on the internet who, you know, when you put stuff out there, people can can take your words and make it seem like a much bigger deal that you're going to have people on the internet who are going to freak out and you would have people in, in, you know, in real life who were also freaking out, but without, you know, a way to get your voice and opinions out to thousands of people mm-hmm. wasn't going to be as big of a deal. Um, yeah, they're going to, they're, they're going to freak out. And they're going to say, Oh, we're regressing. Like, you know, we, we had this great stuff. It was so awesome. But from a studio perspective, they're, you know, they're going to say, this is really, like this is just the right it, choice. It's, it's it's simply the direction they want to go into. Mm-hmm. You can make ten different Spider-Man films in the same year and give them all different ethnicities, mm-hmm. and you know it's just. And again, I it's I think a lot of this is easier for us to say as white guys, you know. And I I try to put myself in the perspective of someone who might be black or Hispanic or Asian or something where they feel like if you're Asian, you basically only get to play samurais, right? You know, unless you're Keanu Reeves, right? Now, now, um, it, 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 I mean, it would be totally cool for um, unless you are Keanu Reeves. It'd be, I mean, it'd be totally cool. I have friends who would be like, yeah, you know, we finally like we get like a you know a big name black superhero, but at the same time, if they then reverted back to having the white kid, they would be like, cool, I still really like Spider Man. Yeah, and I think. And I think um, another way to look at Michelle Rodriguez's comments about um, them co-opting character, you know, reappropriating characters for different ethnicities, um, it's one. It's it's one thing I think maybe she's she's looking at from the perspective I think is if they made Peter Parker black, which is why if they made Peter Parker black, as long as the actor that plays him just embodies him, I really don't care. 
you know, uh, I've I've got fifty plus years of white Peter Parker that I can like fall back on and, and coddle, it, you know, and be like, it's okay, it's okay, <laughs> you know. But right. but it, you know, I, I'm excited. I'm now you know now that uh, not that I was shocked, but now that like the whole controversy over Michael B. Jordan playing Human Torch is you know over with as, as far as I'm concerned. Like I'm now just interested to see how they how they do it, how they make it work in the story. Not, not that they need to make the, the his, his the fact that he's black work, just how how they how's well, the family well, dynamic gonna work right, as no, far as the I Storm mean, family. Yeah, it, as far as him being black, not a big deal. As far as the fact that his sister is white, yes, they're gonna have to find a way to make that work. Which and and one of, I uh, I think it was Josh Trank mentions that he comes from a mixed race family, mm-hmm. so it's something where that that's not unheard of in today's world. Oh, no, absolutely. You know, and, so it's I, I'm cool with that. With them trying, with them pulling off that dynamic. If anything, I wish that they had also made Susan Storm black, and then we could have had like an interracial couple between like Reed Richards and Susan Storm. Mm-hmm. Um, my my point though was is one of the reasons that I, if they're go if they're if they're kind of undecided on how they, how they want to approach Spider Man, um, just go with Miles Morales because as far as like the the life cycle of these things, we've been through two life cycles of. Of Peter Parker, yeah, but they're, they're, I don't think they're going to go Miles Morales. I don't think they will. I think that we could, might still have the potential to see him further down the line. But There's definite interest in Miles Morales. But, but could you have could you have Miles Morales without Peter Parker? You could. Um, basically, uh, I don't really know what his quote unquote Uncle Ben moment would be. And technically, in the comic books, his Uncle Ben moment was Peter Parker dying. Right. That's what I'm. Um, that, that's more my point is that his, but, his who him taking over the moniker of Spider Man was such tied was so tied to the fact that Peter Parker was already existed. I, I think you could you could rework it so that Peter Parker is not a part of it. His his uncle could still rob Oscorp. And 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 unknowingly get the spider in the bag, and and then P, and then uh, Miles would be bitten. Uh, as far as Miles coming around to to wanting to be a hero, I mean, they could off one of his parents. His mother eventually dies. Mm-hmm. Um, doesn't so he, they, doesn't they, he reveal himself to his father eventually? Because he thinks he does. He reveals all. himself to his father, and then his father leaves. And his father recently came back into the comics. Um, but there there's a way around. That there's a way that they could inspire him to action uh, with the abilities without directly involving Peter Parker. And it would make him his. It would ultimately establish him as the Spider-Man, not a Spider-Man. You know, that's mm-hmm. following a legacy. Um, yeah. There's there's a way that they could do it. They don't need to use Peter Parker. Yeah. Um, but I, if anything, his origin would be different enough that even for seeing an origin story again, which I keep hearing reports that they're going to forego an origin story. So whatever. Um, but it at least would be a different, it would be completely different circumstances and it wouldn't feel like we are retreading the same ground while still getting Spider-Man. Yeah. They need to definitely forego an origin story entirely or yeah. at least show it in a, in a quick, like one minute montage of events. Yeah. We so, don't, yeah. So, I, so kind of like we're saying, I I think there's a way that they could do Miles Morales without having to involve Peter Parker's legacy at all. Mm-hmm. You know, it's the same thing where I I think that if I was to be like, okay, Michelle Rodriguez, let's if 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 uh, let's say let's just say black black actors are going to play traditionally white characters instead of having it be you know black Johnny Storm or black Peter Parker, let's have it be Miles Morales who's using a, a name traditionally associated with a white a character who happens to be white. Mm-hmm. But he has his own history, his own mythology that he brings to it, and it's a unique identity despite being a familiar name. It's mm-hmm. the same thing with uh, Falcon taking over as Captain America. 
There's no if a lot of people are up in arms about oh black Captain America, but I'm just like he's been Captain America's partner for years, yeah, decades. He's he was a more obvious choice than Bucky was when Bucky became Captain America. Like it's it's still Sam Wilson using you know separating the moniker from the individual. Mm-hmm. You know we've had a bajillion presidents. We happen to have a black president or half black president, whatever you know. But it's like it's not like being the president has a uniquely white uh, identity to it. Just simply that's how history was. But now we've proven that we don't that that, that that's it's not they're not mutually exclusive, and we just simply need to move on on from this you know uh, 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 ethnic attachment to monikers. I guess is the way to put it. Yeah. Wow. Well, that was. Uh... It was, cool. it was a deep conversation. That, that was totally not a conversation I saw us having today when we got into this. <laughs> but but yeah, it, it works. I, I was good. I like it. Yeah, I think there was some really interesting stuff there. So, uh, you know, looking at our time now, I don't think there was any other news story that was really going to uh, get us any big conversations out of it. Um, yeah, I, I, will say, uh, I will say two things. First off, I am uh, um, considering doing this. I don't think I'll have the – I imagine the tickets will be expensive. Um but uh, and I don't think I really want to be sitting in a theater with other sweaty nerds um, for 24 hours. But AMC uh, theater chain is showing all Marvel films leading up to Age of Ultron. They did that with well, they've done stuff similar to that. They, they think... did stuff like that with I think like Harry Potter or Dude, Batman. How, how long was uh, that going to take? But I mean that that's like nine films or something. That's an over it's over 24 hours of film watching. 25 straight hours. Holy that, that, crap. And that includes Age of Ultron, right? I think. Uh, I think it does. Yeah, they're starting at a 7 p.m. showing. So it you know, starts, it starts just, at 6 p.m. The, na- the day before. I might still attempt it, but I might do it in the comfort of my own home and just right. put all the that's, movies in, and then people can kind of shower in between right, exactly. <laughs> movies. Um, I'll, probably, like, I'll probably marathon them the weekend before. Um, but, you know, if if you're into that and you want to fork over with how much money it's going to be, like, all oh, the power to you. Um, also... Uh, this episode should be released before um, this particular promotion ends. Humble Bundle is doing a um, a IDW uh, publishing Transformers uh, deal where you can get a, a bunch of the current Transformers comics, like I think a hundred something plus dollars worth of comics for name your own price. Hmm. Um, so for like I think right now as little as fifteen bucks, you can get like like three dozen. Transformers comics. Very um, cool. So definitely average, check 10, that out. Pay like 11 bucks. Yeah, you get a lot of stuff. So uh, other than that, 15. Uh, I think we're good. All right. Is that your recommendation for the week? Yeah. I recommend <laughs> checking out. I'm a big Transformers fan. I mean, at least from the original cartoon growing up with it. And I've heard a lot of good things about the, the current slate of IDW Transformers books. So uh, I totally jumped on it. And uh, I'm going to be happy to kind of sit back and read and kind of see what these characters have been up to. All right, cool stuff. Uh, let's see, I'll do a quick recommendation here. Um, I didn't really have anything prepared, unfortunately. So I'm just going to go ahead and say that I think uh, people should jump in on Nameless right now before it gets too late. I think this is a uh, this is a good book to kind of be at the ground level of. I don't know if it's going to have a big major long-term impact, but I think it's a great story, and uh, if you know, people will enjoy it if they if they give it a shot and people who are kind of wary of Morrison, I say still give at least the first two issues a try. Um, I, th- I think this is him and his most collected and straightforward. So 
I think it might uh, it might grab some attention to people who normally wouldn't go that direction. Cool. All right. Uh, real quick, typical stuff. You can email us heckyeahcomics at gmail dot com with anything. You can uh, visit our website heckyeahcomics dot com. You can follow us on Twitter heckyeahcomics. You can follow me on Twitter at davlas. You can find Nick. Um, uh, shoot, I got nothing for you. Uh, attempting to turn his body into a tiny machine uh, so that he can be more like his heroes, the Transformers. Uh, That's a good one. As always, if you enjoyed the show, then please tell your friends. And if you hated it, then please tell your enemies. Until next time, goodbye. Goodbye. Worst episode ever.